Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Hi, everyone. We hope you're all well. Thank you very much for tuning in to listen again today. We really appreciate all the messages and contact that we've had from you all over the last few weeks. If you want to get in touch, please do. Our email is in the show notes. Feel free to drop us a line with any thoughts or suggestions or any ideas that you might have. If you're new to the show, please do subscribe and tell your friends, but make sure you also have a look at some of the episodes we've done to date. We've had some fantastic conversations with an array of personalities from around the cycling world. Have a listen, tell your friends, friends spread the word keep supporting the pod we've been overwhelmed by the support so far and help us keep growing the podcast anyway today i'm joined by troy de Haas. troy is the ceo and founder of sports agency tdh he was previously the head of sport with bmc cycling he's had an amazing journey with bmc from winning olympic golds and tour de france's and world championships to much much more so he talks us through his journey uh, as an athlete originally uh, and then obviously working with BMC and now his current role as CEO and founder of TDH Sport, where he's working with a number of the World Tour teams. He's working with the ASO and a couple of cycling legends as well, including uh, George Incafe and Cadell Evans. We discuss his journey, the structure of the sport, the future of the sport, travel and loads more. So without further ado, let me bring you my friend, Troy de Haas. Hey, Troy, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. You well? Good. Thanks, Jules. Thanks for having me and doing well here in Melbourne at the moment. I hear you're under curfew. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately, it's the second time round, but uh, hopefully this time it gets all sorted and uh, things will be back to normal soon. Good work, good work. Look, we've got so much to talk about. You've, you've done and seen and are involved in so much. Uh, so let's crack on. Let, let's go back to the beginning because you were an, originally an athlete yourself, right? You, you sort of trail yeah. running and orienteering. Yeah, exactly. So back in the day, I was, uh, I was I was running for Australia. So I did some some orienteering, some mountain running, and some tower running even. And um, yeah, that's that was my my taste and love for endurance sports. And yeah, um, yeah I have uh, had fortune to to find myself working in endurance sports now at a, at a later stage. Yeah, and you you came through the Australian Institute of Sport, didn't you? Or you spent some time there? Is that exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, I. Yeah. I that's how I, I came across cycling at, at first. So Cadell was a friend of mine when I was I was training there at the at the IS with with uh, with orienteering, and uh, he was there as a mountain biker at those days, and it would have been about yeah 90, in the nineties. So it seems like a world away. Yeah, it does, right? Yeah, some mountain biker he was. But before we go into the cycling thing, I, I just fill me in. Like orienteering, I remember doing it as a kid with a compass <laughs> and a map trying to get from different point to point how does it work on a sort of pro level or elite sport level funny funny you are, yeah exactly i get this question quite a lot because because of, of the the past in, in running and orienteering it's it is it's a it's a very tough spot it's a physical sport obviously it's a, an endurance sport so most of your races are anywhere from five to 25 kilometers and it's through, through the terrain so essentially rather than following a set course like in cross country you actually have checkpoints, so it's a person that runs through those checkpoints in the fastest possible time. Um, so you find your own routes and, and so forth with the use of a map, and uh, it's time trialed, so you don't follow anybody in front of you. So you're, you're racing against the clock, and uh, at the end of the race, you hopefully uh, you'll uh, have the quickest time, and you've got around through the uh, through the uh, each of the checkpoints as, as fast as possible. So brilliant. So so training wise, you, your actual the orienteering bit was that was that a part important part of it? Oh, absolutely. The level of the runners, these these guys were guys who were running sub 30 for 10K. Um, so they, they, were, they were quite classy in their own right in running on, run it, as runners. But basically, yeah, they, were, they were, uh, relied on, you know, having a lot of, um, you know, very fast thinking skills, 
um, you know, picking the route, route choice to, to get from, you know, the next checkpoint to the next. So it's become a little bit more mainstream today because you now you see all these, you know, these races, you know, running on trail. Trail running has become a lot more popular as well. So running in the middle of nowhere is a bit more, you know, to be seen because, you know, it's, it looks good on the photos and so forth. But uh, back when I was I was running these orienteering races, today there's 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 events, you know, 40,000, 50,000 people in, in Scandinavia. Scandinavia is quite a big country for orienteering yeah had a lot a lot of fun and traveled a lot of places met a lot of amazing people and and yeah unfortunately there's a lot of money in in, in orienteering so um that led me to more these sort of sports like cycling today where it, it's gobsmacking to sort of see the the amount of money that's actually in the sport but also you know coming from a sport where you're you're much more you know back to basics um you can sort of appreciate it and sort of understand um a, a little bit about it yeah definitely well i think there's definitely a bit of a movement on the cycling side as well towards exploration and and longer yeah. distance stuff as well yeah, definitely even teams yeah. like we'll, we'll probably speak about it in a minute but uh you know some of the teams are re- re- reinventing themselves um so traditionally a, a world tour cycling team would race at all the world tour races, right? So they go to all the, you know, the, the classics in the spring and they do all the grand tours and copy paste, copy paste. But now today you're looking at teams like EF who are, you know, going to gravel races, they're going to fund those, you know, they're engaging, they're doing some create some pretty cool content. Then you sort of see things outside of the norm because everyone's sort of seen Perry Roubaix times, you know, however, however many years they've been around watching the race. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it makes it makes for some pretty interesting content. You know, the photos are great, you know, for the for the sponsors as well, their their, their products get validated in different scen- sceneries and scenarios, and it's much more touch and feel because now the average punter is quite likely to be at the start line with a rider from EF, whereas you know at the Tour de France you can't be at the start line, you need to be a, a very exceptional rider. Um, so it's sort of opening up the the, the world of cycling and, and thinking a bit so- outside the square of those traditional norms. Exactly. Well, I think it's opening it up and also I think it's kicking down a lot of barriers as well. Sure. I had Emma Pooley on a couple of weeks ago and talking about some of the challenges she had as a pro rider for, from, you know, just being a, a woman in, in, in pro cycling. And she said the obsession with particularly men's road racing and history and doing things the way they were done in the past and historical events has been was part of the barrier for, for women's cycling. But I think, you know, with riders like Matthew van der Poel and what EF Education doing, Lockham mm. Morton, creating content cross-discipline, that kind of knocks those traditional, I suppose, cliques and barriers down a little bit absolutely yeah it's fun it's cool and sexy and it's it's good for instagram it's good for facebook people love it it's and 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 it's relatable right yeah you know look look at the sales now in the bike industry of 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 those gravel bikes or you know um, cyclocross bikes or the events so it's it's quite interesting to sort of see cycling change in that space yeah absolutely so you you obviously retired from from orienteering and running and worked in travel for a little bit Worked at Thanapura as well in 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 Phuket, a beautiful part of the world. Yes, I know well. And and then ended up with working with BMC. How, how did that all come about? And what was your sort of responsibilities while you were with BMC? <laughs> yeah, amazing opportunity. I was I was like you mentioned. I was based in Thailand and uh, at an amazing sports resort there. It was like a, a Disneyland for athletes. And uh, again, uh, I was good friends with with Cadell Evans, and he came to visit with the the CEO of uh, of BMC at that stage, a guy called David Zerka, and uh, we we got along quite well and they were doing some amazing things with bmc and they were seeing what we're doing in the space in asia and an opportunity came up a little while after they'd visited and uh, they said oh come across to, to watch the tour so i was a guest of uh, andy Rees, the owner uh, the billionaire owner of of, um, of, of bmc and um Get to, got to know him and, and uh, you know, BMC the team, the BMC the racing team, the BMC the bike brand and everything that were, that were, 
were doing over in uh, in Europe, and uh, there's an opportunity there to 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 support their ambitions in sport. And I, I got um, you know the, the call to to come over to Switzerland, so I had to relocate. And yeah, it was an amazing opportunity. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity to to work not. I was completely from outside of cycling, so for an outsider to come into cycling is always very difficult. But then also um, at that level as well, we've, we've you know working directly and essentially I was uh, uh, supporting them with their sports um, investments. So basically, how they spent their money in sport. Um, so obviously, road cycling okay. is a very big part of it. Um, and at yeah. that stage, they were, were talking in the, the tens of millions of, of euros that they were spending towards their own uh, racing team. But then there was, you know, mountain bike teams, triathlon teams, and 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 some ambassadors. So yeah, free me the deep end there. Oh, exactly. Job. Yeah. If, any, if anyone's listening that wants to um, tap me up for a similar job, I'll put my contact details <laughs> in the show. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't um, come around too many times, I don't think. But uh, yeah, it was, no, it was no, yeah, great. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. And tell us a little bit, for those that don't know, I mean, so much of, of cycling, and this is not a criticism, but for, for the big cycling brands is is marketing and, and giving this image. But t- tell us a little bit about BMC as an organization, the culture there and what they're trying to do and achieve. Yeah, I guess with BMC, you have to you have to go back to the past, so where it first began. So it's it's a very new bike brand in the whole scheme of you know bike brands, I guess you could say. So it was it was a bike brand built on racing. So previous to the BMC racing team, there was a team called Phonak Racing Team, and basically they were racing on a on a particular brand of bike which they weren't very happy with, and they wanted Andy, the the owner of BMC, created his own bike brand. So it was a racing team that wanted a, its own bike brand. And so they, they created BMC from, from scratch and, and that was through Andy Reason basically um yeah, BMC was started. Like it was, so it was about it was only about ten years ago, um not even that. So, and basically they the the bikes were, were essentially built for racing. So that's where you know, its DNA in racing is 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 second to none in that it was one of the very few bike brands that was so when you look at the price point, the average price of a of a bike at BMC um, it's a very high price point because it's it's generally it's the top end. It's it's they have very many top end race bikes as opposed to some of the other bike brands like your Trex or your Specialized, which which are you know their, their average price point is probably less than a thousand dollars because they have a lot of lower end bikes. Of course, they have their top end racing bikes as well. So it was a bike brand built on racing, which meant that the DNA that was there it was it needed to be represented in World Tour Cycling um, and spending. But as a bike brand, spending you know upwards of you know twenty. 30 million euros a year on um, a cycling team is very very costly so for a bike brand to sustain that is, is very hard to achieve but so it needed to find a way to basically still be represented in world tour cycling but at the same time not have to foot that bill or have its own team because it was unessential right to have your name you know right across all the team and be called that bike brand was all it needed was basically to be uh, to be validated and actually have a, a team racing on its bike so um that's when we oh, transferred what, what, a, what a wonderful few years of success they had right i mean i think did they win pretty much Amazing. everything to be won the, the olympics tour de france <laughs> exactly uh, world championship team time trial did they yeah. win yes uh, yeah exactly well, well i think yeah. they won team time trial championships like four three or four times um yeah so quite exceptional individual world championships there's even riders who aren't even on uh, sponsored by BMC, i.e. Rowan Dennis last year at the World Champs, racing on uh, on BMC bikes and winning World Championships. Still, didn't I? Because I, I was before that hit the press. <laughs> I was at Harrogate on my own watching the time trial, yep. uh, and, and and it wasn't that busy that day. I was literally on the finish line, and then I saw yep. Rowan sort of walking off, being surrounded by uh, security guards and stuff. And yep. I was like, "Fuck!" And everyone's trying to get photos of him. And I was trying to get photos of his bike. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Yeah, that was, that was Blackout. 
but it's pretty identical. Blacked out yeah. He blacked it out, obviously, for the obvious reasons. He was no longer sponsored by Bahrain and Merida. Um, but he out, was it? It was. It was just. It was like no paint. It was like a, exactly. a pure carbon. It was, it was a pure yeah. carbon version of the bike, which is most of the bikes are like that. Just uh, the time trial bikes because it gives you that little bit of extra weight um, gain. Um, so there's no paint because the paint does add a little bit. Um, but basically, yeah, he that that bike is iconic. You can just do a silhouette of that bike, and anyone who knows anything about time trial bikes knows exactly. that's the bike. But it's the bike that's recorded the fastest ever stage of a Tour de France. It's won so many team time trial world championships, individual world time trial, uh, individual world championships. So it's it's um and you know it's 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 uh, an amazing bike. So um yeah, very good. So you worked with him for for a few years, traveled the world, did a lot of very cool things. Sure. Um, then you set up uh, TGH, which is your agency now. Was that a couple of years ago or last year? Based in exactly. Hong so Kong? after four years in Switzerland with with BMC, an opportunity came up to um, uh, basically the, the role had been as, as sort of fulfilled in that we transferred from our own BMC racing team to having our bikes sponsored uh, our the NTT now it's called Pro Racing Team. And so basically an opportunity for me to to set up my own company because I saw the growth of cycling. Even in those few years that I was there in Switzerland, globalized. So basically, it was traditionally a very big European sport. But what I was finding was that uh, was the, the sport was growing in all these new emerging markets, i.e. Asia, and, and hence why I set up the company in, in Hong Kong, basically to, to fulfill that 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 thirst and demand for for brands or companies in Asia looking to sponsor sports properties, yes. and obviously primarily yeah. cycling sports properties. So the teams, the races. And then some individuals. Um, so I have a, a, a portfolio, a premium portfolio of different uh, uh, sports properties that I represent now. And basically, I, I can take them to, to some of the, the biggest brands in Asia and the Middle East and um, match them with the right sponsors because there's a, there's a great opportunity that's happened in other sports, Formula One, football. Yeah, you look at those other sports, but also I think that we're just scr- scratching the surface in cycling. There's so much opportunity. Sure. In Asia, it's such a beautiful place to cycle as well, right? And there's so much, you know, and it's growing tremendously. Just the participation yep. of yep. cycling and events and, yep. and exciting Absolutely. times. No, no, no. It's for sure. The, the the some some of our biggest clients are a lot of tourism boards and bodies in 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 Asia. Um, that are putting on events now. You're starting to see even in World Tour. There's a, at, the, at the end of the season. There's a one of the World Tour events, Tour of Guangxi, which is in in China, and yeah. there's there's more and more events coming online in 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 Asia, especially a lot yeah. of you know new fondos or you know King of the Mountain challenges here and there in Taiwan, Hong Kong, in Vietnam, Thailand, Latap. Yeah, oh, I think David David Lloyd in Vietnam is looking to do yep. a KOM, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. No, no, yeah. some really cool stuff, and there, there are amazing places, right? It's a great. That's how the Tour de France started. It was a it was a vehicle to promote France to the rest of the world, and so they basically started this route around all the different provinces of France to showcase them by having their bike race go through it. So cycling is a very good vehicle because it's outside of a stadium. It promotes you know the countryside. It's a great way to um, you know get some good images and content. And uh, a lot of the uh, Asian uh, tourism bodies are now getting on board to put on cycling events, which draws you know people in. Uh, but also it's a great way to you know show all that scenery yeah oh absolutely i mean yeah i think i think it's the, the greatest way to see the world is, is on a bike and it's a great great way for these <laughs> countries to open up it's gonna be fascinating to see how attitudes change post post covid when sure. if and when we, well, of course we will get there but when that that happens i think uh, hopefully people will go back to to traveling but how that changes and mm. yeah well, what that may look like i don't know exactly. it'd be interesting I mean, to see, that's really. what you look at is, is that this space is not going to change anytime soon in that uh, 
you know, whilst, you know, we're going for the world situation at the moment with COVID, at the end of the tunnel, there is a very big demand for a lot of these countries and places to, you know, showcase that their country is safe and it's, it's, it's fine to go out and ride your bike again and, you know, do some activations and create content in their countries because tourism is going to have to rebound some way, way or another. You look at the airline industries, the hotels, which are really suffering, but that will come back. It will take time for the confidence of the people to, to want to go back to these these places again, you know, places like Italy or, you know, going back to China after all these, you know, negative publicity that they've had over the last year. Yeah. They'll, they'll be, because, um, yeah, once they do become, you know, open again, they get want to really promote that and, and, and they'll invest a lot of uh, into doing so. So cycling is a great vehicle for doing it. And yeah. Well, I think wonderful. so. I think having been locked down for what it will probably be sort of a year plus, right? I think then, then people are just going to want to crave those experiences of different culture sure. and different places. So it might be an opportunity to say okay if you're going to be bold and go abroad you might as well go see somewhere different or go do something absolutely oh yeah i think to begin with because i was seeing it here in australia already in some of the work that i'm I'm doing because unfortunately my whilst my office is based out of hong kong i'm I'm still here in australia in in melbourne at the moment and i i I foresee that in the next year a lot of you know probably being the same in europe and, and in asia as well in that the domestic travel and the domestic tourism will be the first to kick off again because um, a lot of these events so we do some work with some some of the major events in in uh, in, in Asia so the, there's one event Taiwan King of the Mountain and there's another one in, in Vietnam and basically they're still hosting their events this year but they're doing a domestic version of it so they're not trying to get outside internationals to come across but they're trying to keep it alive for that one year um, so in 2020 yeah. they'll, they'll continue to do that. Um, which keeps them, you know, still relative. They're still continuing. But then next year, I think you'll, you'll find a lot of, you know, people from Australia even, you know, they'll, they'll probably look for more events within Australia. So they might go and do something in Margaret River or in Queensland and people in Hong Kong yeah. might travel to, you know, Vietnam or, um, you know, Taiwan as opposed to going all the way to Europe. So keeping things local, uh, looking for events locally, um, I think that'll that'll be a big boom in the next uh, next. Uh, you know phase after covid yeah exciting and before we sort of come on to, to what you're doing at the moment are you involved in the cadell road race and and is that going to be happening next year do we yeah, know yeah very, very good question like, uh, again i i think um like unfortunately they they, they haven't made a, a decision on any of these major events in australia for next season because quite often australia is the hot spot especially over the, over the winter months for for sporting events whether it's the australian open tennis um, the tour down under in Adelaide or Cadell's race in, in late January as well. I don't know you're seeing everything like you know late this year already being cancelled, like the, the US Open or you know the and the same thing with the Australian Open next year in tennis. In that I think uh, a lot of these events will look to do something local next year. And same with Tour Down Under and Cadell's race, it will happen. It won't. I don't know if it'll be the same sort of event. It won't be. A, I'm not sure if it'll be a World Tour event next year. Yeah. But that they'll definitely have the event in some shape or form. Maybe they'll invite local domestic teams like the Herald Sun Tour version of, of teams. Maybe there are a number of teams that do still want to travel out because the, the the plan Australia is very very strict on you know bringing in so there's like a two-week quarantine if you want to come back into yeah, Australia so yeah. makes it very difficult to bring internationals in but and that so, said am I right in saying that well I suppose it'd be getting them back out again but I do think that I'm right I think I'm right in saying that a lot of the teams that go over to Australia yep. for the the European winter they tend to go out for a couple of months don't they at least exactly. two or three months so no no um, for sure so Exactly, and I don't think we'll have all 18 World Tour teams at, at the start line, but um, I, I think you'll see a, a number of them, especially the, the the Aussie riders that are in each of those teams, and then there might be a number of other riders that are willing to, you know, come and sacrifice or you know spend their their, their winter or Australian Australian summer 
out here, you know, December, January, and maybe even February. Um, so there, there'll be a bit of a scene out, out here over that, that, that period of time. But it, yeah, it might be difficult to have a, a, an international global event of the same sort of st- style like that we've seen. In, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. And, and cycling is a funny sport in the respect that it, it is pretty global and it, it's got a lot of followers, but some of the teams are, I, I don't think this is out of turn to say, so a little bit behind in terms of that globalization mm-hmm. piece. <laughs> Do you feel that the teams more um, more eager to, to come out or to travel are the ones with global sponsors? Because a lot of the teams have got sort of quite domestic or regional sponsors still. It's in, insane. It's such a global Absolutely platform. insane. Yeah. I think my, my take on it, and I've, I've, I've said it before, and I, I think cycling is traditionally a European sport, very traditional European sport. It's amazing, got a lot of culture and everything else. But the peop- a lot of the people involved in the sport still believe that it is that sport when – right around the world it's globalized and they actually haven't taken advantage of that in that terms of that they do have global appeal now so the sponsors that would be interested in them are now different than they say they would have been 10 20 years ago so if you look at some of the titles of world tour teams at the moment you know that some of them are very local sponsors you know movistar it's a tv channel in spain for spanish uh end of story Whereas, you know, or Quick Step, Quick Step Floors, you know, makes floors in Belgium for Belgians. You know, they have a couple of subsidiaries here and there, but they're not very global companies. Um, so that's not very sustainable, I don't think, in that sense, because when they do come to race in races like, you know, uh, Australia, Tour Down Under or, or Cadell's Race. Cadell's Race is a good example. There, Not all World Tour teams are there for that reason, because the sponsors don't demand them to be there. They don't yeah. need to be by UCI standards to be at, at that particular race. Um, so after two down under, they go straight back home because there's no appeal or reason for them to to be at races outside of Europe, essentially. So, but the the, the Shane, sport though, it's, a, it's a cracking race. It's a lovely part of the world down down Geelong and, and the Great Ocean Road. Oh, down amazing, that way, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I think the sport has to realise that you know a part of it's you know now you are a, a world sport. It'd be like you know it'd be like having all your Grand Slams in tennis in in Europe only. Whereas, you know, you need to have a Grand Slam in the US, you need to have one in Australia, and on Formula One races, you know, they have them all around the world now. Just for that reason, because you need to your, your your appeal is to to, to a global audience, and um, it's just matching those sports properties, so i.e. those teams in, in World Tour Cycling with the right sponsors. So, and we're starting to see that now with a couple of teams um, or a few handful of those teams, which are, are now really you know much more of a, of a global appeal, and some of those sponsors are reflecting that and. And getting away from some of those, um, my, my biggest thing was was obviously, you know, getting away from the the usual uh, endemic sponsors. So going to non-endemic brands, so brands who aren't bike companies or bike suppliers and, you know, parts, because largely a lot of the sponsors are those, and whereas, you know, they can't really afford the, the big exposure and the global exposure that, you know, a World Tour cycling team can deliver. So it's selling that those spaces to some of the bigger brands, you know, the non non-endemic brands, the banks, the insurance companies, the you know, the it's watch companies. Value to be had there, right? Because it's a great audience that listen to it. It's it's the same as this podcast. If a big corporate wants to come in and sponsor this podcast, you yep. get great access to a, a global audience Absolutely. and a good demographic. Oh, amazing! Yeah, no, for sure. And that's where if if you looked at the profile of cycling and who follows cycling ten years ago or twenty years ago, it's very very different than what it is today. And like you said before, that the growth of the sport in some of those emerging markets. Markets, whether it's South America and Colombia, or whether it's over in Asia or, or the Middle East, it's 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 now you know it really needs to take um, you know notice of of, of the, all those fans and followers around the world and and some of the and look at football you know all those big clubs Man United you know they, they've got their or you know they've they've got their offices in Singapore and Hong Kong for that reason now you know Leicester yeah, City they, really they, wins, they won the Premier League a few years back 
it doesn't go to Leicester for its homecoming party. It goes to Bangkok because it's owned by yeah. Ties and it's sponsored by Ties. Yeah. So it's it has you know connections there, and it's it just shows that the the, the sport has changed and uh, well, yeah, big global brands. And it's and it's interesting that obviously you're you're doing more and more in 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 cycling again, but mm-hmm. but you've done a lot in Formula One as well, and that that's that's a, a sport that has quite a sophisticated sure uh, sponsorship model. But but also it was quite interesting what I mean what Bernie Eccleston did with Formula One in the first instance was he took it from sort of an elite sort of social sport and turned it into a global brand. Yep. Yeah. No. No. Fantastic. Like. Uh, Formula One's a very good, um, you know, sort of model or example of you know, how some sports have really taken advantage of that globalization of their sport and, and done it on a, on, a, on a very, you know, grand scale, obviously. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the things I learned and the reason I was, you know, quite interested and in, in sort of did a little bit of stuff with some of the Formula One uh, teams was just to learn about how they operate and what they offer sponsors and what, what how they were getting these international global brands to come to their to their team uh, teams. And that was, and, and it's the same thing that would help, you know, cycling teams as well because um, traditionally cycling teams, because basically when I was at BMC with, with each of the 18 World Tour, we went through every World Tour team to look at what was the right team for BMC to sponsor. Um, and they essentially all sent their proposals or their sponsorship sports decks around what they offered to a sponsor. And a very large majority of those teams were very traditional in the way that they presented their teams and what they offered. It was essentially logo space on a, on a jersey. A few of them were starting to you know think outside the square and provide some other you know, sort of benefits to a sponsor. But if you look at a, you know, Formula One team, there's there's thousands, there's, there's a whole book of different, you know, things that sponsors can potentially get. And some of them aren't even on the kit or on the car. It's 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 their, their brands that are silent or, you know, they've got other access to different things of a team. And cycling yeah. can do very much the same sort of thing if it, if it looks at how to sell the things that they can sell within a team to the right sponsors. Do you know what? I mean, this is a frustration I have. I've seen a couple of those sponsor decks and and, uh, (laughs) they're not particularly that sophisticated. But, you know, I I feel that a lot of the cycling teams are kind of stuck in the 1980s with regards to their, you know, they see sponsorship value in terms of TV coverage and column column inches in newspapers, which is... Yep. The world's moved on in terms of content uh, from them. It's, it's, yeah, it, it, it is quite, it's, I, 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 I sort of see it as, you know, kind of sad in one sense, but then the other side, it's so much opportunity in that, you know, this, this sport doesn't hey, realize it's full for its potential in that what it has to offer. And um, so that's, that, that part of me, you know, gives it, you know, a lot of hope. And there's, there's, you know, there's, there's, that's hence why uh, I'm working at it, that, it, that industry at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Now, are, are we allowed to sort of divulge who, who you're talking with and who you're working with at the moment and what you're doing? Doing and where are you at at the moment? Who, who are you? What kind of tell us a little bit about your agency yeah. and the kind of work? No, it's it's it was established in 2018, so it's only a couple of years ago now in, in out of Hong Kong. And basically, it was it was purely to you know create these winning relationships between a lot of the um these 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 businesses that wanted to to sponsor um, sports properties, i.e. cycling sports properties. And so basically, we represent a, a premium portfolio of um, different sports properties, and they include world tour cycling teams, and they also include some race organizations, and they also include some some icons of the sport, so some individual athletes of the past. So it gives us a bit of a, a you know, uh, different tools to be able to use with each of those sponsors or those brands that are looking to, to sponsor in cycling in some cases they want to sponsor multiple different avenues and in other cases they they only want one or they you know, so it allows us to bring that menu of of these different sports properties to the table and match them to the individual sponsor as opposed to 
an individual cycling team going to find a sponsor in Asia is, is essentially, you know, it's, it's pushing one project, right? It's their team or that or nothing. Whereas now we've actually got uh, this portfolio of different different um, sports properties that all have their different, um, you know, different, you know, ways that it, you know, promotes itself or what it can offer to a potential sponsor. So we can match that to the individual, you know, sponsor to, to fulfill their objectives. Right. You're definitely taking a bit more of a sophisticated approach compared to what's happened traditionally. Are, are you are you met with a lot of resistance or do you I, I mean is there a split in the world tour with regards to the, the sort of more traditional European teams are they less flexible in terms of thinking as yep. you say outside where and the newer newer sort of established teams the global teams are a little bit more open-minded in terms of the commercial yep. pop- opportunities yeah yeah no okay. for sure 100 percent. because it's uh when i went through that process at bmc to look at all the world tour teams there were three three of those teams that stood out to me as as more global having you know a bit more you know interesting sort of uh reach and uh, appeal to potential sponsors outside of uh, outside of europe um and fortunately for me i i'm able able to um represent those teams now today for the for the business um and basically that helps to you know just you know the teams that i believe in the teams that i would sponsor if i was working for a brand um so it makes um you know going to talk to potential sponsors and, and brands and some of the networks we have here in in asia pacific but also in the middle east a lot easier because they're actually projects or sports properties that I believe in. Yeah. Are we allowed to mention those three teams? Yeah. So we, we like NTT with Pro Cycling was the the the, the first of the World Tour teams we begin work, working with, um, just because of the connection that I had there with BMC and you know it was it was Africa's nation, Africa's team bringing you know the sport and, and of of cycling to to Africa, but also you know hopefully um, developing a you know, the African uh, continent to find a you know some of the a grand tour winner potentially in, in the years to come um so that was really cool you know it played its own you know merits in that it was an, a europe uh sorry a um an african focused team israel startup nation which is only new to world tour this year another team which is also obviously got you know great appeal this year uh, and next with, with chris Froome coming next aboard. year yeah so that's, that's what i was hoping you that's why i was asking you who you're working with because so, so what's the deal did you know before it happened uh have you started planning or helping them for next year i mean that that is a that is a big a dynamic shift it's, for them as a team right absolutely a game changer so when, when we're talking to sponsors and, and partners like it now is a very different vehicle than because i'd known the guys kel Karlstrom and the guys of the team for a number of years now and uh, once they became world tour this year it was very different than when they were pro conti last season and now next season when they're actually grand tour contenders with chris room on the team and you know bolstering some of the other riders to come in to, to support him it, it provides a different uh, offering to a potential sponsor than, than say they were, you know, six, 12 months ago. So yeah, definitely we work very closely with each of those teams to, you know, identify their their values and what they believe and their vision of the team is because they're all very different. To, uh, say, you know, Israel Startup Nation is, you know, it's, it's very, um, you know, it's a bit more Middle Eastern focused. Startup Nation being this big hub in in, in, in Israel where basically a lot of startup um, companies come from. So there's, it, it appeals to a different sponsor that, you know, may be looking to, uh, you know work in those circles so yeah that, that plays it's different and then of course now it's a team going to grand tours to win you know the tour de france essentially next season so uh for a brand well, was a good signing for them right daryl sure. was a great signing for them Top absolutely 
No, no, for sure. That's, you know, and sometimes some of these teams can also adapt as well to, to the sponsor or support the sponsor's objectives. Like, you know, if it comes from a certain nation, um, the, the, then they may want to have interest with, you know, you know, supporting grassroots, you know, some, some projects in their own countries, but also, um, you know, riders potentially to come to that team from those countries as well as that sponsor. Yeah. Excellent. And, and then, and then the third team is the, Mitchell yeah, Mitchell and, Mitchell and Scott, which is obviously the Aussie team. So I've obviously had a, an affiliate or, a, um, you know, a, a very strong, um, you know, uh, support for them over many, many years being an, an Aussie team. They're a bit more of an Asia-Pacific focused team today. Um, so again, yeah. a whole different geographic positioning of that particular team um, and what they, you know, offer to potential sponsors. Um, they're uh, now, you know, with Yates on the team as well. Um, they're, they're, they're also a team that goes to grand tours to, to, to mix it at the very top of things. But yeah, they, they, um, it has, has a bit more of a, an Asia Pacific DNA to the, to them. And they've got projects going on in, in, in Asia as well with, um, supporting becoming exactly. So yeah. it's, you know, there are yeah, yeah. three different beasts or animals in the zoo. I like to call them in that, um, when I go to see potential, you know, work with some of the partners and, and brands that we've got on our, uh, as clients, they, they, they have three different opportunities or three different completely different platforms to be able to get involved in cycling for the, through those three different teams. So it's just a matter of, you know, sort of matching the right team to those potential sponsors. And That's cool. And can, can we talk about Mitchelton Scott and, and what happened with the, with the Manuela, whatever the, the, the Spanish charity, what, what, what happened there? Uh, good, good question. Like, uh, um, yeah, I, uh, I wasn't uh, involved, or my my company Teenage Group wasn't involved with that uh, that deal. Um, did you come in post all that happening? Mitchell and Scott's only just recently, um, you know, obviously seen some of the work that we've been doing with with the other two teams, and just also, you know, I had brands and companies that I worked for that which were probably a very good fit for Mitchell and Scott. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So with the new management of the team there at the moment, with um, yeah, it, it's quite uh, exciting to sort of see how they're they're changing. So uh, Brent Copeland being the the new the new manager of the team, but then uh, um, it should. And, and they've always been, I think, as a as a cycling fan, I think for for the longest time, they they really sort of captured a broader support audience as well. So I think Absolutely. they have a lot of yeah, it's more the fun team, you know. So for a brand that's a bit more fun and sexy and cool like it's the team right like it's you know they, they do create the fun yeah. videos that they, they, they're a little bit more light-hearted exactly. um, whereas you know if you're you, if you're more of a charity side you want to you know develop stuff in in africa then you know nt pro tt pro cycling team is a bit more of a better fit or if you're you yeah. know an up-and-coming business absolutely yeah, exactly each of those teams like like i said they're they're all three very um you know respectfully individual different teams and they they serve different purposes and 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 visions and and of what they're trying to achieve so um and that's kind of cool and it's the same with the um the this race organizations that we we represent as well so we do some stuff with aso on their latap event oh wow okay so they're they're developing in in asia uh super league which is a a triathlon um, project with different uh you know events around the world as well so there's there's different avenues in 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 the the race organizations and then there's also some individual athletes we look after as well so not not your traditional agent agent model it's more a little bit more about um it's some of the biggest bigger icons of the sport so the good thing is once the guys retire um, they become available, right? So they're, they're, when they're racing, they're, they're so fixed, uh, fixed and, and concentrated on the, on the racing at hand. Whereas now we've, I have Cadell Evans, who is, you know, uh, Australia's greatest cyclist. He's won the world championships, mountain bike world championships. And of course, the Tour de France. So he's a, he's a great person to, to be working with because he's in, he's in great demand right around the world and especially here in Asia Pacific. 
Um, yeah, and, and keeping it's, keeping it's, them. Oh, sorry, Troy. Sorry. Is, is Cadell does he still associate with with BMC? Isn't he? Does a lot of work with BMC. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. He's, he's still a brand ambassador for BMC um, and a few other right. brands as well. So we we, we do some um, yeah. We obviously helps their, that that sponsorship as well because we're we're going to different projects and events where their brand is associated with Cadell. So their brand gets represented in these places. So if he's going to a ride in China or in Vietnam or in Mexico, the BMC bike comes along naturally, of course. So it's 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 great for him. Um, and it's great for those other sponsors that are uh, associated. Very good. Well, look, if he ever wants to pump any products out over <laughs> over a podcast, he's more than welcome to join us for a chat on the podcast. Yeah, no, he's, he's, a, he's a cool guy. And, and like most people sort of didn't really think that he'd be a good ambassador because once he retired from cycling, he always saw those videos of him, you know, after races not being very media friendly or or um, he, he's, he was, he's very, he's a meticulous guy. Um, he's very... He's very driven, um, and basically, when he's there to race, he's there to race. He, he doesn't like all the other stuff around on the sides. Um, whereas now that he's stopped racing, he's he's um, he's very available. He he doesn't stop talking. He, he likes to hang out after the race and have a beer. So it's he's, he's a, it's a different yeah. side of Cadell, and he's he's worked really really well in that sense. And yeah, from a, from an ambassador perspective, I I always feel that he's very considered. With you feel he's genuine with the work 100%. that he's done. That's why I wasn't sure, sure if he still actually worked for BMC you know no he's yeah. respected for what he's achieved you know all the other riders give him a lot of respect as well um one of the other athletes that are that are on the books as well is, is George Hincapie um so obviously okay. one of America's biggest names in in cycling and and uh he's ridden you know 17 stage uh, 17 editions of the Tour de France so he's He's, um, he's, he's, he's a very big name, but he's also for that Americas. So Cadell is the guy for Asia Pacific. George is very good for the Americas. So being North and South America, you know, having that Colombian background, he's a, he's a very, um, again, he's a, he's very good at, uh, at business. He's, uh, he's been able to establish, um, not just himself as a brand, but also he's got his own apparel brand, Hincapie Sportswear. Yep, and then yep. from that, he started his own, you know, Grand Fondo series. So he has a Hincapie Grand Fondo series. And then, of course, um, he's got his own Hincapie racing team. So it's a Conti team, which ride BMC bikes by by coincidence. Um, so we did that deal when I was at BMC. But, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a great guy as well. He's very well-spoken. He's very well-respected. And, you know, he's got a lot of good stories to tell. Yeah, I bet he does. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So, so it's, well, it's a super exciting period for you. I mean, for most of us, a lot of uncertainty given the COVID situation. But sure. going into 2021, you're working with three of the most exciting teams in the World Tour. You've got Chris Froome going to Israel Startup Nation. You're working with uh, ASO and and Hin Cafe and and Cadell Evans and thank you. Well, f- firstly, big thank you for giving me the time to do this. You must be super busy. But um, what what's the plan for you? What's next year look like? What what are your big goals for next year? Yeah, like obviously this this year was a bit of a, a spanner thrown in the works. And and um, you know, as a, as a new business, like any business, I guess during these times you have to sort of reinvent yourself and sort of you know try and utilize that time and space uh, effectively. So then at the other side of all this, you can be you know, ready to, to take on the world and sort of see the see what the world will be like for those those immediate few years afterwards because it won't be quite the same as what it was, say, in 2019. So it needs to take a little bit of a different approach and being adaptive to that is is, is very, very important. So, but basically, um, it's allowed, you know, for me, I was kind of not thankful, but also utilise that time to be able to take a breath 
and you know do things like you know recreating you know the business model and you know get retouching with a number of companies and brands that we were working with in the past so that that's a good positive but then also you know starting to you know look at what sort of things are coming back online next year like like i mentioned before a lot of the tourism bodies are already you know banging at the door in terms of wanting to have access to riders to come to their events and you know finding sponsors for their events in in asia so largely once once the you know travel ban is is taken away and we can start freely traveling again around the world um yeah, getting back to, to Hong Kong and Asia to, you know, to support some of those projects moving forward. But um, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, in the next few years, it, it'd be quite an interesting sort of space. There's a lot of brands that have done quite well out of COVID, as in, you know, they haven't been, you know, set back as say some, some of the other brands or companies have. So yeah. obviously, some of the, the focus is on, on is on on some of those companies as well to, you know, you know, look at ways that they can in, get involved in sport. Some brands that may not have been involved in sport in the past may be involved in sport moving forward. And in sport is a great vehicle for it. You know, it's 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 very healthy. And I think on the other side of this, companies are going to want to you know, promote healthy living and everyone getting out and doing stuff again and then at, at the other side of all of this, you know, having yeah, be, be, be associated with cycling. Cycling has seen such massive growth, right? And I think sure. that um, actually one of the things that frustrated me throughout COVID is, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent now, is there seems to be sort of from a from a governmental perspective such a focus on uh, prevention and, you know, staying in, whereas there are absolute ways that people can help themselves protect sure. themselves from the virus which is you know keep healthy keep fit keep oh. exercising you know yep. and these things you know eat well all the things that are associated with cycling but no one's really sort of pushing that on an official mm. level I, th- I was really never there i think that the obesity is is the is sure. actually more of a more of a cause for fatality than than age now everyone said it's just an old sure. person thing but obesity is mm. the key thing so you know healthy living yep. get out there and ride your bike right Oh, absolutely. Like you're seeing it already now with a number of insurance companies. You can reduce your premium by, you know, once they look at, you know, your lifestyle choices and obviously, you know, cycling or doing exercise is a, is a pretty, you know, integral part of, you know, having that, that lifestyle balance and keeping healthy to avoid, uh, you know, any problems later on. But yeah, it's, cycling is a, is, is a great vehicle for, you know, everyone getting healthy, but also countries to promote that they are safe again and, you know, build the confidence up because the average person that may have, may have been on the border, whether I would travel here or there in the past, probably won't travel for another, another few years. So it will take time to try and, you know, get everyone's confidence back up again and, and have the amount of travel, the volume of travel and, and the, the consistency of travel that we had in the past. But I think people are a bit, a bit smarter as well, you know, working from home and, you know, that is it necessary to travel as much as you did before for all these meetings, whereas now you can do a lot of things, you know, virtually online and so forth. So the world's definitely a changed place. Um, it's just yeah. how you how you adapt to all of that. Yeah, interesting times. I'm sure lots of opportunity out the other side for, for everyone, I hope. I know that a lot of people are going through tricky times as well. Um, sure. But hey, there you go. Troy, I know you've got to be relatively agnostic to most things, brands and geography, but where, where is your favorite place in the world to ride your bike? <laughs> uh, uh, like Europe is amazing. Like, but uh, you, you, and that, that's where, you, you know, you, 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 you're sent, you know, quintessential rides, like, you know, Mount Vontus and, your, you know, Alpe d'Huez and some of the amazing rides or, you know, going to Mallorca. It's stunning, stunning riding. But I, I prefer to go you know, to some of the places that, there aren't so many other people riding and, you know, be one, one of the, the first pioneers to ride your bike in sort of places like that. And that's hence why you know, George and Cadell are great for doing those sorts of projects. And, and they, they love to go to new places they haven't been to before because if you get them to ride, you know, down Paris, you know, Champs-Élysées another time, they'll, they'll, they'll bang their head because they, they just, they've done it so many times before and every year is the same again and again and again. So 
and it was the same with the first project we ever did with Cadell and George was was in South Africa, the Cape Epic, and uh, we were getting messages from a lot of the, the big names, the Sagans and the Frooms and, and everybody else of, oh, that looks amazing. It looks so cool. Like they're riding the mountain bikes, you know, in the middle of the African, you know, outback. It's it's kind of cool because they had never seen that before and creating content. And we we're getting numbers as well, like the, for the brand, so for BMZ and, and Tag Heuer, um, who were the sponsors of that project, we were getting a lot of, of interest because the the we were seeing essentially a polar bear in the desert. It was you know, seeing cycling in, in, in some of these big names coming to these new exotic locations where cycling wasn't so you know, common. So yeah, for me, I, I like, um, I do love riding in, in Asia just because there's so many new, new under, you know, being discovered places today. And like, you could ride up a road that no one's ever ridden up before and some mountaintops, you know. So Ta- Taiwan King of the Mountain sort of took me. It was the first, um, was the, the oh, race they have. beautiful is Taroko Gorge? Oh, it's amazing. Unbelievable. And that, yeah. was the, that was the thing, right? So the, when we got off the plane in, in Taiwan for that trip, so I had Cadell with me on that, that occasion, and we went straight to the president of Taiwan's office and basically sat in a room there with the president of Taiwan talking about cycling because Taiwan is traditionally or, you know, most mostly known to everybody as this industrial place, right? And now, you know, this is a great vehicle project to be able to, you know, create content about, you know, Taroka Gorge particularly and the mountaintops there in, in Taiwan and to show the scenery like it's, Taiwan has some amazing scenery. It's not all factories. It's not all, you know, industry. Yeah, it's, it's breathtakingly it's, beautiful. But it's also, amazing. the people are unbelievably friendly. Sure. Um, it's almost a bit disconcerting. Everyone's so lovely. And the drivers, uh, the road yep. surfaces are immaculate. Yep. And the cars are so courteous and supportive of cycling. And I remember being there and when I started riding straight out of Taipei, yep. a car came up behind me and I was like, oh, here we go. I'm going to get some abuse. <laughs> pulled up behind, beside me and the window the windows wound down i was like yeah. oh here we go and they were just cheering me up cheering me up the climb i was like this is awesome <laughs> no no it's 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 really good for especially for a new sport where you, you know you, you you'd expect them to be a little bit you know less forthcoming there they've been you know been fantastic and i guess you know there's so much industry well, all the bikes you know i don't know what percentage it is but it's a very large percentage of bikes are produced in taiwan particularly um, so they, they have a lot of economical, you know, reasons to sort of get behind cycling, but also there's a, there's a real genuine love for the sport. And um, we're seeing that right around the world now, right? So all these new places popping up. Everyone's got a new event coming. Really? Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, kind of cool. Troy, do you, do you know Shannon Bufton at Cirque Cycling? Yeah, I do, do know of. I don't think we've ever yeah, met. Yeah, no, well, he, they, I think they're just about to do the first tour, or they were planning before COVID to do the first tour. They got permission to go into North Korea. Oh, wow. So. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there's yeah, a new place for you. I've been there actually. I went to Thailand, to North Korea um, when I was in, living in Hong Kong. Uh, so it was about really? seven years ago. I went there about seven years ago. Went there for this um, this competition. It was a, called the, the Mass Games. It's this big presentation propaganda that they do in in uh, in in, um, in North Korea. So we um, went there for a few days. It's a yeah, it's a pretty pretty amazing place. It'd be an amazing place to ride actually. Yeah. So you get some content there. That'd be that'd be really cool. Maybe I should drag one of the guys over there as well to try and That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you up with Shannon. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Please do. Cool. Awesome. Look, I've taken up loads of your time. Have I missed anything? No, no, it's great having a chat and always talking anything about cycling and, you know, how how the sport is, um, you know, growing in in leaps and bounds. So, yeah, thanks for having me on and and having a bit of a chat. Yeah, well, thanks for giving us an insight into some of the commercial side. If anyone's listening that represents a major global brand that wants to get into cycling, Troy is your man. Uh, We'll put his contact details in the show notes to drop him a line and uh, you can talk engagement and sponsorship with him. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Good man all right thanks for your time mate good to speak to you bye thanks for listening please subscribe to the podcast 
And more importantly, don't forget to download the Unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub. We'll see you on there.